Today on The Toss-Up, Soviets, Sunlight, and Suspending Trade. The Toss-Up will come to order for the session of March 18, 2022. I'm today's speaker, Ananya Schmieder, and welcome to the Apolitical Politics Podcast for people who hate politics podcasts. The chair now recognizes the Texas legislature, which is also the chair, and the chair would like to report there is absolutely nothing interesting going on in the Texas legislature. So the chair now recognizes the House of Representatives. Thank you, Madam Speaker. You know when siblings ask nice, act nice to each other like the day after they've been away from each other for a long time and then things go right downhill again? Well, the House and Senate are probably in that nice to each other phase because last week they met for the State of the Union and this week they met together again for an address by Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, who, depending on whom you ask, has an I or no I or a Y or two Ys in his name. President Zelensky referred to pivotal events of American history, including 9-11, as he made a plea for help for his unprovokedly besieged country. It was a very rousing speech in which uh, Zelensky specifically requested a no-fly zone over Ukraine, which is a complicated issue that we will now discuss. Um so basically, a no-fly zone is essentially where the United States or another powerful country says, uh, no flying in this zone, and essentially establishes a indirect military presence saying that, uh, you know, things that if uh, U- Russian planes fly into uh, Ukrainian airspace, they're going to get uh, turned back or shot down. And uh, so essentially, the pro of this is that there's less air raids on Ukraine. But the con of this and what President Biden is kind of re- uh, reticent about is that uh, it's pretty much akin to almost direct military involvement, but without being on the ground. So are there any opinions about this? Um, one thing I would like to say is that I think a no-fly zone would be beneficial into resolving the conflict that is currently going on in Russia and Ukraine, although it is going to be a very dangerous game of chess that has to be played between the United States and Russia. Any wrong move that's made by President Biden can result in a war declaration being held, and then this brings us into a new age of war that we haven't seen anything like before, so it's a very dangerous game that we're playing if we decide to. Yeah, and I would also like to point out there have been quite a few instances in just the past month or so in which uh, President Putin has said that he believes that the actions the United States have taken are akin to a declaration of war. And this is before we've gone so far as to establish a no-fly zone. So that's just something that I think is important because already the actions we have taken just by supporting Ukraine and declaring that we stand with them has is seen as a declaration of war from the perspective of Putin. To sort of recap everything um, that's been expressed by every uh, by the other speakers today, and to actually like pick up on where J- uh, Donovan left off um, about just the historicalness of something like this, if the United States does get involved in this uh, this war, it brings into question if there was any sort of if there was any sort of attack on American soil, what that would happen to the remainder of the world, considering that the United States is a member of NATO, unlike Ukraine. And also, both the United States and Russia are nuclear superpowers. That would lead us into a wartime that would be unlike anything we've seen before, because unlike the Cold War, where everyone just had nuclear weapons, but no one really used them, this time around, it might be pretty likely that they would be used, which is kind of scary to think about in a way. It's also a really interesting thing to think about because, um, you know, the idea of American soil is not something we generally need to worry about because, uh, you know, we haven't, there hasn't been international conflict on American soil since the Mexican-American War. But that doesn't necessarily mean that 
things can't happen can't happen in NATO. You know, we're hearing concerns from Poland about being invaded uh, after this. But it, it is an interesting issue about how international we're willing to get about things. You know, because. Uh, Losing Ukraine to uh, to an Eastern power could actually be pretty dangerous to the ethos of the West as well, where uh, the West lost Afghanistan and then the West would lose another sovereign state. Um, that's a very... Uh, it's definitely not a claim to fame that NATO wants to have on its name, even though Ukraine isn't a member of NATO. So that is, for that reason alone, and just because it's a democratic country, and uh, I think the West ought to unite around democracies, I would be generally in favor of this, just because I know that uh, Putin is not an idiot, or at least even though he is not clearly not of the best moral character ever, I think he would be at least reticent to actually act directly against NATO countries, because he knows he would be acting directly against 29 NATO countries at once, which I think is a really good thing about the North Atlantic organization. But another interesting angle is just that we could... Okay, it cut out, and so I don't remember where I was, but uh, what I was talking about was that uh, declarations of war in, have historically been done by you know Congress and the legislative chambers of these countries, and so there's a real risk of us fighting undeclared wars perpetually. Do y'all see any situation that might arise where, uh, where we might end up having to actually have an officially declared war, and what do you think it would take for Congress to actually take those steps that it has the constitutional obligation to do? So to touch on that, Jackson, I actually see this kind of happening in South Korea with um, the uh, because of just the relationships right now between South and North Korea. Um, uh, to sort of give a summary on that, North Korea has close ties with Russia, and because of that, um, South Korea, a lot of South Korean um, government officials are wary that if any involvement or any sort of action that involves South Koreans in Ukraine or against Russia, it might incite some very dangerous um, wars that between North and South Korea. And obviously, if that was to occur, um, not uh, uh, even though South Korea isn't necessarily um, a, in an ally, I think, of the United States through any specific treaty, they are. Um, it is an area that the United States has in the past tried to protect and try to um, keep a democratic, I guess, hand on. Um, and I, I think one of the actually, one of the most recent things that I've heard out of there is that no South Korean people are allowed or citizens are allowed to leave this country to go to Ukraine and be part of that wartime effort. And because of that, um, if they decide to do, they decide to go do that. Um, if they, uh, c when they come back, they face up to a year uh, in prison. Uh, along with, I think, around $11,000 of fines and then maybe even, like, having their passport revoked. Um, so South Korea is being very, I guess, careful on that end. But then it comes into question, well, if that was to happen and North Korea was to get involved somewhere and this was to somehow take over on a world standpoint, I would see the United States trying to control its democratic hold on these other countries, um, in Asia particularly, because of just how tumultuous that's been in the past. Yeah, and I think, um, like Jackson was saying, there is definitely a fine line the United States has to walk because if we set a precedent right now by uh, essentially providing military aid to Ukraine without 
technically and officially providing that military aid or declaring war on Russia, we are kind of setting this precedent that in the future we are willing to do things like this. And with everything that's been happening in terms of the military, I don't know if that's a precedent that President Biden wants to set. Um, and then in regards to the potential of the United States actually declaring war on Russia, I'm really not sure what would need to happen because there are just so many political factors and economic factors especially that are at play right now because there are um, in Congress, right, there are these questions about even though the Biden administration did approve that embargo on Russia, which we have seen has slightly impacted our gas prices, um, taking further actions will have a huge economic impact on the United States and the world economy at a large. And I don't think that's something some of the more conservative members of Congress are willing to see happen without any sort of direct strikes against the United States itself. Um, the only thing I wanted to add to this is I think the only possible way that we could see a war come to fruition is if Russia decides to advance further beyond Ukraine and they begin to threaten other um, eastern states in Europe or even in the Caucasus regions. Um, and I think at that, at that point, the United States and most members of NATO will have to come to a crossroads on whether or not a war is necessary to stop Russia. Um, one of the biggest talking points will be the fact that war is a long thing. We haven't wars don't typically last, especially world-based ones. Just a couple of years or just a few months. This would be years on years of fighting, and as those years progress, millions of lives could be lost and will be lost. There could be there will be destruction of infrastructure, and so it will be. It would be interesting to see how. NATO comes to a decision on whether or not war is necessary should Russia continue to push themselves um, on eastern states. Yeah, that's a really interesting angle right there, just given that uh, NATO is a more powerful organization than what Russia has at its hand. You know, it used to have the Warsaw Pact and uh, that kind of thing, but uh, China's trying to stay out of it. They're not really supporting Russia in in credit incredibly directly and so that means that russia is the most powerful country that's technically involved at the moment and uh, the western bloc if i may use that cold war uh, terminology there is is really powerful comparatively so um it's definitely a question of whether uh the west has a good chance of winning but at a great cost if a war were to actually uh come out and uh, actually wreak havoc on on europe so uh, there's so many different angles as you can think about this from but uh, just to finish it out we'll appreciate here um, I just want to add in a little bit tidbit, a little tidbit on like the economic aspect of what we just talked about. Um, like an, uh, like previously mentioned by one of our uh, discussers, that uh, because the the embargo placed by the United States on Russia has caused oil prices to increase, and actually, um, I actually just learned this today that out of the past seven recessions that we face in the United States or just around the world, six of them had, um, bef before s uh, six of them, there was a spike in oil prices. So I wonder if this is sort of a sign of what's to come with the worldwide economy in the future, if this war either doesn't end soon or oil prices don't go down soon. And because of that, um, I just want to kind of, I know that we're uh, wrapping up our discussion, but I want to ask um, the other uh panelists right now do you guys think that if it comes to, comes to it and oil prices become too high would there be any concessions made to not russia but i guess um any efforts made to like talk to putin and figure out what's going on by the biden administration 
Um, I think efforts would be made because, as you mentioned, um, with the recessions in the economy, we would want to try to rebound as quickly as possible in order to benefit um, not just the world but to benefit ourselves because the sole purpose of our government is to protect its citizens and to aid for our citizens. And so if they begin to realize that there are issues at hand that are putting the quality of life for Americans lower than it's ever been before, then I then I think it would be um, beneficial for conversations to be had to try and return life to something that is semi-normal. And after two plus years of life being completely derailed by the COVID-19 pandemic, um, it would just be something for Americans to just be able to almost feel at home again, just feel like hmm. life is going on without having there be a fear of um, a pandemic or gas prices skyrocketing or a potential war at hand. Yeah, and uh, President Biden has actually, you know, reached out to other countries for uh, for their help. You know, that actually other dictatorships that he usually tried to avoid, that includes Saudi Arabia and uh, Venezuela and that kind of thing, to stabilize the global market. Even though the United States isn't really too worried about not importing Russia Russian uh, gas commodities anymore, but we are out of time on this discussion. But it was a really good one, so thank you all very much. Um, a lot of bills were introduced after uh, President Zelensky's con uh, congressional announcement, but it does remain to be seen how many of them are going to make it past the committee stage. And after the address, the House engaged in a largely ceremonial business setting, including designated the de designating the El Paso Shooting Memorial Gardens a national memorial, pending Senate and President. More debate on Ukraine military response will come later this week, but right after our tape, right before our taping, actually, the House voted 424 to 8 to suspend normal trade relations with Russia, and the eight nay votes are exactly the ones you'd rep you would expect. All right, now getting into our weekly committee schedule. So on Wednesday, the House Oversight and Reform Committee met to discuss wildfire management and methods to reduce the catastrophic impacts of wildfires um, in areas like California, Washington, Oregon, and places like that. The House Foreign Affairs Committee met to discuss the early signs of war crimes and human right abuses committed by uh, the Russian military during the full-scale invasion of Ukraine. And the House um, Energy and Commerce Committee met to go over 5G as the next frontier of internet connection and also its impact on the aviation industry. Um, on Thursday, the Committee on House Administration met to go over voting in Texas, ensuring free and fair accesses to ballots um, in Texas. And on Friday, no committee me meetings took place. Back to you, uh, Madam Speaker. The chair now recognizes the U.S. Senate. As mentioned, this week the House passed a serious bill regarding Russian trade, but it could have some issues passing the Senate. The Suspending Normal Trade Relations with Russia and Belarus Act, approved, as mentioned, 424 to 8, will give the president authority to increase tariffs on the two nations until January 1, 2024. Although it easily passed through the House, senators are weary to pass the bill as White House informants still wish to speak with allies regarding sanctions on Russia and potential aid for Ukraine. Although the Senate was rather slow this week, and the biggest news was that the Senate passed legislation that would make daylight saving time permanent starting in 2023, ending the twice annual changing of clocks promoted by supporters advocating brighter afternoons and more economic activity. The Senate approved the measure called the Sunshine Protection Act unanimously by voice votes by voice vote. The House of Representatives, which, had, which has held a committee hearing on the matter, must still pass the bill before it can go to the President, before it can go to President Joe Biden to sign. 
Well, that's everything for today, folks, and join us next Friday right here on The Tossip as we wait and see if our gas prices will finally be cheaper than a cup of Starbucks coffee. Until next time, The Tossip stands adjourned until mm, sometime later in March. Yeah, it's March 25th, and our clerks of research for this episode were Nanya Schreeder, Donovan Douglas, Prisha Singh, and Jackson Keith. This episode was edited by Jackson Keith.